and says, listen, everybody who follows God essentially is my mother and brother. I'm not going to put them priority over what's going on in here so they can wait, essentially. And that's what God showed Caroline this uh, week, this morning, is that uh, God God doesn't show favorites. And when we, uh, when we enter into his family or adopted as sons and daughters, we all have the same importance to him. Okay, that's, that's really good. In fact, it goes right along with what David Plott was saying in Radical, right? Chapter 2 or chapter 3, maybe chapter 1, about not putting anything before the Lord, including family. All right. What else? Brad? Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Very good. A good Christian book is going to have scripture references in the back. It's going to have a footnote section. Just, there you go. That's added two cents tonight. But yeah, radical, David Platt, at the end, if you look at the end of the book, he has verses that correspond with each chapter and his footnotes at the end. So you were looking through those verses. Uh, for those in the back of the room who didn't hear, and specifically the story where he's talking to the African man, talking about the guy in Africa that's never heard the gospel and would he go to heaven or hell and and what it is that justifies us and why we are all destined, or not destined, but why we are all uh, on a one-way track to hell without Christ. Okay, very good. Anybody else? One, two more. Let's get somebody that doesn't normally go. Biscuit. Okay, so for those of you who didn't hear, Biscuit, as we'll call him, since he's going to England, we've got to get him in practice. Um, Biscuit was on Facebook just doodling off whatever, did the whole open the Bible and just point thing four times, and all four times it was speaking about prayer. So he thought, well, maybe I'll pray. That's the way he worded it. Another way of saying it is God was telling him to pray. So he prayed, and right as he finished praying, um, 
he noticed that I posted this to my Facebook. In fact, can we pull that up? It's on my profile. I posted a video of a Christian uh, guy who's uh, in, off, in some form of government over in Pakistan and uh, was killed this week for his faith. Um, but before he was killed, he, uh, a news reporter was interviewing him. And this video is of him being interviewed by this news reporter, and he addresses the fact, the reporter asks some question about uh, that he had heard that Taliban and al-Qaeda had basically threatened him, threatened his life. Specifically, this government official was trying to pass, trying to revoke a law, a Shiite law, that basically is a law pertaining to the Quran that anybody that blasphemes, anybody that speaks out against the Quran, anybody that chooses a different religion or whatever, could face the death penalty or whatever. Um, and so he's speaking out. He wanted to get that law revoked. And uh, so al-Qaeda and, ta- and Taliban had threatened his life. And he answers the question, yeah, I've had threats, and, and we'll see if we can't get that up there. Uh, but then as, as Biscuit watched that, then he, uh, God just really convicted him about how we live in a free country and, and all of that. Here, well, let's watch it. Yeah. He's got to plug in. So Biscuit was talking about how, uh, how fortunate we are, that we have God. Anytime we want him, basically, in this country, we have this church, we have youth pastors and pastors and children's pastors and a Christian school and everything else to go along. So here's, here's the video. Minister Batis, we forgot one question in the interview. Your life is threatened by whom and what sort of threats are you receiving? The forces of violence, militant band organization, the Taliban and pro-Al-Qaeda, they want to impose their radical philosophy in Pakistan and whoever stand against their radical philosophy they threaten them when I'm leading this campaign against the Sharia laws for the abolishment of blasphemy law and speaking for the oppressed and marginalized persecuted Christian and other minorities these Taliban threaten me but I want to share that I believe in Jesus Christ who has given his own life for us. I know what is the meaning of cross, and I'm following of the cross. And I'm ready to die for a cause. I'm living for the, my community and suffering people, and I will die to defend their rights. So these threats and these warnings cannot change my opinion and principles. I will prefer to die for my principle and for the justice of my community, rather to to compromise against uh, on the these threats. Thank you. And then this week he was killed, murdered, for for that. So it was kind of prophetic what he was speaking. Wow. Yeah. We as Americans cannot truly relate to that. We we can't relate. I can't, you know, I can't imagine being put in the position where I had to basically say that. Not just say it, but it'd be a reality. Yes, I prefer to die for my convictions rather than compromise. I mean, where, do, where does that place us in the workplace, uh, in the movie store, uh, when we're out with friends, when we're challenged to, to do something as simple as lie, cheat, cuss, Date someone we shouldn't. Watch something we shouldn't. Do something we shouldn't. 
And we compromise so easily. And here's a guy that's facing death, and he says, I'd rather die than compromise. Wow, spiritual giant. Proverbs 20 more says this, do not envy wicked men. Do not desire their company. For their hearts plot violence and their lips talk about making trouble. By wisdom a house is built and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. A wise man has great power and a man of knowledge increases strength. For waging war you need guidance and for victory many advisors. Wisdom is too high for a fool in the assembly at the gate, he, is, he has nothing to say. He who plots evil will be known as a schemer. The schemes of folly are sin, and men detest the mocker. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. And he goes on, ends up saying, Fear the Lord and the King, my son, and do not join with the rebellious. For those two will send sudden destruction upon them, and who knows what calamities they can bring. So what, what is the author of Proverbs talking about here? Well, he's talking very similarly to what we talked about last week. Do not envy wicked men and do not desire their company. For their hearts plot violence and their lips talk about making trouble. When you're seeking out your friends or you're seeking out popularity or belonging at school or when you're seeking out to have success by business standards, adults, what are you seeking? The reality of it is, students, in the country you live in, the cool kids are not the ones that are following the Lord. The popular kids at school, the popular teenagers are not going to be the ones that are standing up for Christ. They're going to be the ones that are plotting violence and making trouble. And those who walk with them will surely end up in the same place. Read the book of Psalms. Read the book of Proverbs. It's all about that. Those who sit in the seat of mockers will be mocked, is what it says. But then it goes on and says, by wisdom a house is built. Where does wisdom come from? The what? The Lord. And how does he impart wisdom to us? Okay. Through his Holy Spirit. And how? what is the number one way the Holy Spirit speaks to us? Through the word. The Holy Spirit will never direct or speak to us anything that does not align with his word. The word is the, our ultimate source of wisdom. God's very clear when he says that, that there is nothing that need be added to this, that everything that we need for godly living is in here. And our house, our persona, our identity should be built on wisdom. 
wisdom. I, you know, you live in a country that values education. I mean, we, we pay taxes, and every one of you must go to school. You must get an education, which is so far advanced from other countries. But the reality of it is, students, is that your parents in this country are amiss in that we don't put more priority in you learning this. Because while education might help you succeed in the temporary 30, 40 years here in life, this will help you succeed not only here, but in all eternity. And the reality of it is, it will help you succeed even here, more than any education you could receive on your own. Because this will lay a foundation upon which education will take root in your heart. Does that make sense? When this is a foundation laid down in your life, then what you're learning at school, based on this foundation, will take root in your life. It's proven. They've done studies that people who who were memorizing the word did better academically in secular studies than those who were not. Why? Because this isn't just a bunch of good information. This is wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is different from smarts. There's a lot of smart people that do stupid stuff. There's a lot of average intelligence people that can do amazing things. And then there are those of us who are really dumb academically. But God walks us through a wise road. Okay, so wisdom, by wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. So when we lay down a foundation of wisdom in our life from the word, then we gain understanding. So those of you who are struggling with algebra, biology, chemistry, whatever it be, if you would lay down a foundation of wisdom, if you'd allow the Lord to plant his word in your heart, you would be amazed at how suddenly you gain understanding for things that you didn't understand before. And one of the reasons why is because the wisdom that God gives you changes your attitude towards that which you don't understand. And one of the things I struggled with the most in school was understanding, or understanding subjects that I thought I would never use in life. You know, I hated chemistry, and I hated algebra and all the maths, and I just couldn't stand them. And, I, you know, I used to argue with my teachers. You know, when I get older, I, I can use a calculator. I can write a check. I don't need to know, you know, all this algebra junk. When I get older, I'm not going to be a pharmacist. I'm not going to be a doctor. I don't care to know about chemistry. I don't care to know about the table of elements or whatever it's called, right? And the teachers used to say, oh, but you'll use it. You just don't know, right? Well, what I discovered as I began to grow in the Lord and as, as I began to study his word and he began to lay down the foundation of wisdom in my life is that those subjects which used to be really hard to me suddenly just became very easy. And I began to understand them. And one of the things that I gained understanding about more than anything else is that, that not only do those subjects matter and that they have value in life, but more importantly than that, as I began to gain understanding subjects I didn't care about, one of the things I realized was that people that did care about those subjects, suddenly I could have an intelligent conversation with them. And I could earn the right to speak in their life because I could understand what they were talking about. 
I wasn't so single-focused and single-minded that I dismissed everyone else and what was important to them. You go to lead a friend of yours that is going to be a mathematician someday, you go to lead them in Christ, and you want to use all these English metaphors into them, it doesn't matter. They don't care. But if you can relate to them in a very rational, logical way and explain the gospel in that way, suddenly it comes alive to them. And so we gain understanding when we have a foundation of wisdom in our life. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. When I was growing up, I used to get annoyed at people that knew it all. You know, They had an answer to everything. Uh, but the older I got, the more I, I gained appreciation for people, not know-it-alls that were like arrogant about it, but people who were just incredibly intelligent, that they just you could talk about anything and they at least knew what you were talking about and could carry on a conversation. And I began to develop appreciation for that. And I'll, particularly the guy that mentored me as a youth pastor, I was like his Kyle, uh, and worked with him for five years in Canyon. Uh, John Butterfield was his name. And that man, it doesn't matter what topic you were talking about. I mean, it could be like biochemistry or whatever. And he'd be like, oh, I read this article the other day, and it was about this, this, this. And he had these rare treasures. He was this small man. I was telling Scott the other day. He was a small man about five feet tall, and he had this rare disease where he couldn't eat a lot of proteins. It, his body wouldn't break it down or whatever. So he was just skin and bones, about this tall, wore glasses. And he was he was an awesome guy, just quirky guy, a little, you might, you know, people might look at him and think kind of nervous nerdy guy or whatever. He was, he was heavy into karate, you know, as a youth pastor. He taught me, hey, you never let a youth get the better of you, you know. And so, I, you know, he was the, just that kind of neat guy. But you would never see it on the outside. I remember this one time in youth, uh, youth ministry. I'll tell you two stories real quick. Uh, one time, he, or early on in youth ministry, he pulled me aside and he said, listen, just about every year you're going to have one youth that's just going to test you. Just going to buck the system. And he said, you just got to nip it in the bud. So every year, usually it's seventh or eighth grade, you know, students that are newly coming into the youth group. And he said, they're going to test you. They're going to test your authority. And he said, you just got to nip it in the bud. Even if that means you lose that student, you got to nip it in the bud or you'll lose the whole group. And every year, sure enough, we'd have a new batch of kids coming in. It was a much larger youth group. We had averaged about 200, 250 kids. Then we'd have a new group coming in, and he'd be like, all right, who's it going to be this year? And about two or three months in the youth ministry, you know, they would always just be smarting off, you know, smart mouths or whatever. And eventually they'd get to that point where he'd just be like, you know what? This is what he always did. Like that, like cut it out. And if they just kept on him, he's like, look, there's the door, go. Oh, you can't kick me out. I just did. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And all the other, you know, well, there was this one time there was these high school football guys that had started visiting. And they were like linebacker and alignment. And they were huge. I mean, they were as tall as I am, about 30 pounds heavier, solid muscle. And they were coming in, and they were just cutting up in the back and, and totally being disruptive and making jokes, I mean, loud enough for everybody to hear, including John while he's speaking. And I'll never forget one Wednesday night. We, I got there a little early like I used to do, and we'd talk whatever about what, what we were going to do that night. And he said, Jeff, tonight's the night. If they cut up, we're confronting them. And he said, so, so if, I, if I call them out, you just go ahead and make your way out into the hall because, because I'm going to take them out there. And, and they're, you know, we don't know what they're liable to do. And I'm thinking, I mean, I'd heard him talk about his karate stuff before, but I'm thinking, John, really, you're relying on me to be your backup? We're going to get killed, you know. And, and um, I was, but I didn't say that. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, okay, whatever. Uh, so sure enough, halfway through the, 
lesson he's teaching, and they're cracking up back there. And he said, you know what, guys? You obviously don't want to be here, and you're totally being disrespectful. So just leave. Don't come back if you don't want to be here. Just leave. There's the door. What are you, you can't kick us out. Yeah, I just did. Leave. Make me. He's like, all right, let's go out in the hall. Okay, come on, you know. So I'm on the other side of the room. They start going out that door. I go out that door back there. And I, no sooner had I gotten out in the hall, and here I see it. I'm all the way down the hall, you know. And, and they, both of them come out, and they turn around. And John barely makes it through the door, you know. And they're looking down at him. And they turn around like this, and one swings before John even's fully out the door. And John just does this whole, you know, that thing. And before you know it, this guy's head's in the wall. I mean, he just took that punch and just, you know, and then went after the other guy. And the other guy's just like, you know, down on the floor like this. And the other guy's pulling his head out of the wall. And John's just like, there's the door. If your parents need to talk to me about what just happened, you have them meet me at 7 o'clock when we're done or whatever. You know, and I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they, you know, they got up and they're like, no, sir, we're sorry. It won't, that won't be a problem. They walked out, you know, he's like. If you, uh, you know, halfway down the stairs, like, and if you decide to change your attitude, you're always welcome back. And they came back, totally different, you know. And that wall, I, mean, I was just like, oh, my goodness. It was one of those rare beauties, a treasure hidden in this little guy. You know, he talked about karate, but I, if I had a dime for every person that told me they took karate that, that you know, were just panty wastes, just complete waste, you know, scaredy cats, whatever, then, then, I'd be a rich man. And here's this guy, John, and he's like, karate this, karate that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, this guy, another time, shortly thereafter, our high school boys were all laughing about it one day, and they were like, John, we're going to take you down because they got excited about it, you know, because they'd walk down the hall, and there's this hole in the wall. They were like, one night we're standing in there, and we're all, you know, everybody's just talking before youth gets started or whatever, and all of a sudden you hear this, and there's like 30 of our high school boys just running at John. And about three or four of them go flying in the air ah, to tackle him, you know. And here's John, and I just turn around just in time to see this big mob of guys coming from every direction. Boom! And no sooner had they gotten on him and just, you know, this whole dog pile just goes. Whoo! And then all of a sudden you hear this. Ah, ah, and kids just start going. Whoo, whoo, whoo. And pretty soon there's John standing with Jackson Robinson, another linebacker for Canyon High School. And Jackson's just standing there, and John's like, I told you never to wrestle. Okay, I'm sorry, John. I'm sorry, John. He's like, you don't do it again. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, John. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those rare treasures. It's one of those things you never expect out of this little man. A wise man has great power, and a man of knowledge increases in strength. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. We don't learn so that we become smarter and more self-sufficient. When we put this as our priority and we lay a foundation of wisdom, then God begins to give us understanding and all these things that humans think are important. But when humans try to make themselves smarter and more independent through education and knowledge, the Bible says in Romans, the Bible says that God will use the wise things of man to make them foolish, and the foolish things of man to make much of himself. And, and what happens, you see, is God knows that the smarter we think we get, the less we think we need or know him, need to know him or live by his standard. But when we put his word as a foundation and we gain wisdom, then God can begin to give us understanding and all these other things because we don't, we don't let the cart get before the horse, right? We don't get to a place of arrogance where we 
lack our recognition of our need of God. We don't get to a place where we think we're so smart that we don't need him anymore because our understanding is coming on the foundation of wisdom. And that's when all these little treasures get in out. I love, I've grown to really appreciate men that are very humble, but they can have a conversation with anybody about any topic. And, and when I discovered this, it was when, when I, I changed. I, I changed from this person that had this kind of, I don't need to do that kind of attitude. I'm good at what I do, and I'm, I'm going to do this, you know, so back up off me. Don't try to teach me. Don't. I changed into one of these people that's like constantly wanting to know. So, so when somebody's going to work on my car, I don't want to just take it to a shop. I want to I find out what's wrong with it and figure out how they're going to fix it. And even if I can't fix it myself, if I take it to the shop or someone in the church that knows, I'm going to stand there and I'm going to watch them and I'm going to learn so that next time I can do it myself. Not so that I'm self-reliant, but, but, but because I've gained a desire for understanding. And that desire comes from wisdom. Wisdom doesn't come from myself. Wisdom comes from the Word of God that becomes alive and active in me, see? A wise man has great power, and a man of knowledge increases in strength. For waging war, you need guidance, and for victory, many advisors. All too often, we think raging our wars that the one who has the more power, that has more experience, that has the more weapons or whatever, that they're going to win. And, and he kind of alludes to something a little different here. To wage war, you need guidance, and for victory, you need many advisors. You ever heard the saying, it takes a tribe to raise a child? One of the problems I have with evangelical Christians is we have this tendency to find one pastor or one author, author, and we tend to put them up on this pedestal, right? Billy Graham is the best thing since sliced bread. Joel Osteen's a great speaker, so we're going to have thousands and thousands and thousands of people join his church and read his books. The evangelical nation's in an uproar because Rob Bell, supposedly his new book coming out, says there is no hell. Why are we in an uproar? Because one idiot says something. We don't even know if he says it because his book isn't out yet. No, for raging war and for victory, we need many advisors. When I tell you something, don't just take my word for it. Go to the Bible. Go ask Richard what he thinks. Go ask your parents what they think about what I said. Go ask. You find many spiritual pe- people that you consider to be spiritual, spiritual people that follow the Lord and get their wisdom. Get many opinions. Because believe it or not, I will be wrong sometimes. Probably should have said believe it or not, I'm right sometimes, but many times I'm wrong. Sometimes Richard's wrong because he's human. One of the things I love about this staff is that every week we get together and we talk about everything, staff meeting. We talk about what we're going to do in worship. We talk through every song. We talk through every, every component of the worship service. And as pastoral staff, we talk through it. And we give ourselves the right and the privilege to gain advice, constructive criticism from everyone else on staff. 
Because even though I'm a youth pastor, uh, well, I'm not a good example because I, I am a little bit musical. Let's say like a Cindy Johnson who's a children's pastor. Even though she doesn't get up here and play an instrument or sing, she might have a different perspective than those of us that are musical. So while we're sitting here going, man, the music was awesome, she might be going, yeah, it was so loud that I didn't, couldn't hear the words. The words are the most important part. See, and so one of the things I love about this church is as a staff, we've gotten to this place as a staff where we can be honest with each other and give each other constructive criticism. And so one of the other things we do is we go through every ministry in the church, and every ministry sits up, you know, and I'll say, hey, you know, yeah, we're doing this with youth. We got this coming up, this coming up, a midwinter retreat. You know, they know about what thematically what's going on. They know de- decorations, what's going on. They know who's speaking, all that kind of stuff before you guys ever show up. Because even though they're not involved in youth ministry, uh, they're wise people, and I, I treasure and covet their wisdom. So when I want to put a sandbox in the middle of the sanctuary, you know, rather than just going and do it, I covet wisdom from Richard and Cindy and all these different perspectives. For victory, you need many advisors. Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the assembly at the gate, he has nothing to say. Nothing to say. You and I as Christians, because wisdom is the foundation or should be the foundation of our life, we should then gain understanding. And in a, in a council of many wise people that are sitting around talking, it doesn't matter what the subject is, we should always be able to have something to say. If nothing else, we should always be able to take that conversation and turn it into a gospel presentation of some sort. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Very hard to do. It's very hard to do because we don't do it ourselves. It's a process. You focus on this, and God will begin to give you understanding in other things. God begins to give you a hunger for knowledge. And then he begins to just give you understanding in that knowledge. And, and, and part of being able to stand around with other people, and no matter what the conversation is, is because true wisdom brings true humility. And so you don't sit there and you don't puff your chest up like the world and say, oh, yeah, well, I know what you're talking about. True wisdom brings true humility. So that even if you don't have anything to say is like giving them advice, you can sit there and go, I don't understand what you're talking about. Explain it to me. And even for someone to explain something to me that I don't know, if I begin to grasp it real quickly, then even though they're the ones doing the explaining, God reveals himself in that. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people and they're like, I can't believe you understand what I'm trying to tell you because, you know, it took me two or three years in college to understand. No, I, I, I kind of get it, you know. And then the next time you see them, you're like, you're there. You can carry on this conversation. He who plots evil will be known as a schemer. The schemes of folly are sin, and men detest a mocker. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? That's probably the hardest one for us to swallow and the easiest for us to understand. How often do we falter when it comes to bearing the name of Christ? When you're in the locker room and everybody's making fun of that other person. Are you bearing the name of Christ? Are you the one that's stopping them from casting those stones? Are you the one drawing a line in the sand? 
Or are you one of the other Pharisees just joining in and throwing stones at that poor, unfortunate, defenseless soul? Yet we just watched a man whose life was threatened, who said for all to see, man, I would rather die for my beliefs than compromise. He meant it so much that he was killed for his beliefs rather than compromising. Because he had strength. Because his life was filled with wisdom. Rescue those being led to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. That's what that guy did. His life was full of wisdom. Though many would say it was folly, that he shouldn't be so outspoken. His life was full of wisdom because he knew that by speaking out, he was rescuing those being led to death. While he was led to a physical death here on earth, he was speaking out to hundreds of thousands in Pakistan that are being led to spiritual death Every day, every year. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, uh, how is, you know, how am I supposed to know that there's Christians dying in Pakistan or Afghanistan? I mean, how am I supposed to be knowing to pray for them or whatever, right? Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? In other words, We don't have an excuse to not be involved in the plot of the Christian martyrs over in the Middle East. Because even though we don't know their names, even we don't don't know who they are that are dying daily, the God we serve who is their God that they are dying for, He knows it. And He lives inside of us in the form of His Holy Spirit. We don't have an excuse to say, well, I I didn't know, so I didn't know what to pray. Because the reality of it is, is we serve the living God, and all we have to pray is for the persecuted church. God knows who they are. We don't need to know who they are. All we have to do is be praying for them. We are without excuse. And the wise know that. The wise know the ways of the Lord. They know the heart of the Lord because they know the Lord, because they know who the Lord is, because they've read how He has demonstrated Himself to mankind. And so the wise, they know the heart of the Lord, and they live according to the heart of the Lord. If we watch videos like that and it doesn't break our hearts, then there's something wrong in our relationship with the Lord. If watching that video didn't stir you, then you need to question your salvation. You need to. Because God's heart is for the lost. God's heart is for the persecuted. God's heart is for for the the lowly, those who who do not know. And here's a man who's giving his life so that they can know. And, and, And if your heart is not in tune enough with God's heart, then you have to begin with the question, Am I really saved? Do I know God's heart? Or is life still all about me? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. This is probably the part of the passage that sticks out the most to me because I love sweets. Love them with a passion. And the past five, six Sundays, we've been having these Columbia meetings right after church. 
And Sarah Duyer is going to Columbia with us. And that woman cooks the best desserts. And she cooked today. She brought in the strawberry shortcake that wasn't like pound cake with strawberries put on top and whipped cream. It was all baked into the cake. So it was like this pink strawberry cake that had strawberries inside the cake. And the ice, the, the whipped cream had been like melted into the cake. So it was like this sheer deliciousness. And then there was this patch, batch of brownies. And then last week she brought a cream puff cake. It was a whole cake that was basically a big cream puff. We're talking like yay big by yay big by about that thick. And so we, you know, and man, I love sweets. And we went in there and everybody's, you know, taking their little pieces. And, and, and you've got all these women that are trying to do the American thing and just be skinny or whatever, you know, because it's healthy. So they're taking this little, you know, two-bite pieces or whatever. So I walk up there and I take my fork and I just cut like halfway down the cake. And everybody starts laughing. <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm like, yeah, right. So I cut right down the middle of that. And so I just take a fourth of the cake and put it on my plate. And walk away. And all those skinny little healthy wannabe people are like, he can't wait. Man, he did that. And I was like, oh, yes, I did. And it was good. Yes, I meant it when I prayed for my food today. Thank you, Lord. And here David is, is speaking and he says, listen. Eat honey, son, for it's good. Eat from the comb, it's sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is sweet for your soul. Now, what's your soul? You students should know this. Composed of three things. Mind. Mind, your will, and your emotions, right? That comprises your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Don't you know that wisdom is sweet for your mind? But it's not, wisdom is not just the smartest thing. Wisdom is also sweet for your will, your ability to stand up and choose to do the right thing all the time. And wisdom is good for your emotions as well. Many of us live our life letting our emotions lead us. How we feel is how we act. So when somebody does me wrong, I start to get angry in my emotions. Then we become angry as people. We let our emotion lead our mind and our will. We begin to think thoughts based on that anger. We begin to say things based on that anger. And we make choices based on that anger. God wants it to be the other way around. See, that, that leads to death. But wisdom, don't you know that wisdom is sweet to your mind, your will, and your emotions? Rather than letting our emotions lead our will and our mind, or our mind lead our will and our emotions, we are to let wisdom, we are to let God's word lead our every decision, lead our every thought, and lead our every emotion. And if I were to gather tonight why some of you find it hard to really get into this, it's because you're reading it, but you're not applying it to your life. 
And that's where the Bible comes alive. That's where it becomes sweet like beautiful cream puff cake. Where you just enjoy it. Where you don't walk up there and take two little bites, little tiny helping because other people are looking. You take it and you want to walk away with the whole pan. Forget lunch. Eat your dessert as your entree. And then put some filling, filler, healthy stuff around it, right? That's, that's what God's word is for our life. And when we, when we invest in wisdom, when we allow God's word to come alive to us, when we apply it to our life, we let wisdom dictate what we think, how we act, and how we feel, then it becomes sweet. Life just becomes sweet. And it doesn't matter what circumstances I'm facing around me because they're not dictating my decision-making process or how I feel or what I will choose to do. We let God's wisdom. And so in the midst of someone totally giving me good reason to be angry, instead of deciding to follow my emotion and say, yes, I'm going to get angry and then make choices based off that and think thoughts that just encourage me to get even angrier, instead I'm at the, at the beginning of that, I'm going to take that thought captive and, and you did me wrong. And so instead I'm going to say, no, I choose to, to let wisdom guide my soul. So instead of becoming angry, I choose to not allow anger to run my thought process. And even though I'm feeling angry, I choose to give that over to the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit to rise up in me rather than the flesh. So God, where, where I feel like being angry and reacting in bitterness, my flesh wants to rise up. Lord, as Paul said, Lord, submit my flesh to your Spirit. And come and steal within me peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness. Those are fruits of your spirit, Lord. So I choose to let your wisdom guide my soul. And so instead of becoming angry, I choose to forgive that person now so that anger doesn't rule my thoughts. And Lord, instead of allowing my emotions to dictate my will and anger to dictate my will, Lord, I choose to believe your word, which is true, and I choose to live on wisdom. So instead of, instead of being angry, I'm going to take thought, that thought captive, and God, I forgive that person. And then in my will, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would make me have peace and patience and kindness, and that you would fill me with goodness and gentleness and self-control. And then as the motion of anger is confronted with forgiveness and the Holy Spirit, that emotion has nowhere to go. And very quickly that emotion is defeated and turned into love, forgiveness. And then God's Word has become alive in my life, see, and it's sweet. Because anger just leads to death. I mean, it just gets us all worked up and tense, and then we just can't so quit thinking about it. And, and instead, we let wisdom guide our soul, and, and it's just sweet. Because what could have been a week or two weeks worth of thoughts and fighting and bickering and, and getting it all stewed up inside of me, and I finally confront that person, and then it just blows up because they didn't know they even hurt my feelings in the first place. Instead now, in a matter of minutes from the time they hurt my feelings, I can walk with that person still in a relationship, loving relationship, and I can move on. Life becomes sweet. Instead of circumstances dictating my soul, his wisdom dictates my soul. And it's sweet like honey, David says. Fear the Lord and the King, my son. 
Do not join with the rebellious, for those too will send sudden destruction upon them. And who knows what calamities they can bring. Lord, I pray that you would help us dig into your word. I pray that you would help us apply it to our lives. Begin to, to, to let your wisdom be instilled in our life. That it would control our mind, our will, and our emotions. That it would dictate who we are, how we feel, how we act, and how we think. Rather than letting circumstances dictate how we feel, how we think you are, and how we feel and think your word impacts our life. Lord, may you be truly God. May you instill a foundation of wisdom in our life that we could walk a life that is blessed and sweet. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Now remember, next Sunday we're not coming here. At 5 o'clock you're going to Michael and Annette Green's house, and Wednesday night we'll have directions for you uh, for that because half the group is going to be overseas. We'll be in England and Colombia, and some people are going to uh, South Africa. Anna's going to be in South Africa, and so we're going to be all over the place. So we'll see you. Thanks for coming.